0: welcome to the modern jewish girl podcast i'm jenna lawyer by training writer and teacher at heart i was a secular girl from new york who happened to be jewish then a trip to israel changed everything as i discovered the depth and relevance of the torah for the first time i created this podcast to share deep beautiful torah wisdom in an accessible way and explore how we can integrate this timeless wisdom into our modern lives As a wife and mother with my own personal and spiritual struggles, I know how hard it can be to show up every day with joy, faith, inner peace, strength, and clarity. I share bits and pieces of my own journey in hopes that it will help you on yours. I really want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating, a review, and share the show with family and friends. Okay, here we go. Come back. It seems like an eternity ago that I recorded the last podcast, as we're in a totally different reality now. On Simchat Torah, it was Shabbos. It should have been the pinnacle of a beautiful holiday season where we worked on ourselves and getting closer to God. And instead, it turned out to be the most tragic day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust certainly in our lifetime. And I'll never forget my husband coming home from shul that morning and telling me that there was an attack. Obviously we didn't have all the information yet. We heard that only three hundred only <laughs> three hundred people were killed. Of course now we know the number is up to fourteen hundred. And it's not even to mention the over two hundred hostages Women, children, babies, elderly who are currently being held in Gaza. When I turned my phone on Saturday night and I saw the horror of what had happened that day, I felt so physically sick, and I know I'm not alone. That week was practically impossible to function as I kept just crying on and off, I felt debilitated, honestly, and almost in, in a daze of shock and disbelief and horror. And it wasn't until that Friday, almost a week later that I began to to focus and to pull myself up. And it was with the help of Rabbi Graydon, my rabbi in Los Angeles, who gave a talk to his community where he essentially said that we all are being called up now. And we all have a job. We all have to answer the call now. We need to pray. That's one of the most potent spiritual tools that we have. When there's a decree in heaven against the Jewish people, when we're threatened, we know from history we need to unify and we need to pray. And even if we're not fighting on the front lines, even if we're not in the IDF, We can all choose peace, peace with our friends, peace with our family. We can all pray, cry out to God in your own words. Use the Psalms of David, the Tehillim, which are extremely, extremely potent and powerful. We can do mitzvot, every merit. We need every merit that we can get now, and we all have a part to play, all of us. So being that this is the Modern Jewish Girl podcast, I wanted to address the situation now that we're going through collectively as a nation. How can we understand the new reality that we find ourselves in and what can we do about it? So I bring on my close friend, Cynthia, Cynthia Hanna. She is an expert on the Middle East conflict and we talk about everything. We talk about the political, the historical, the religious context of this war and our place in it. I'm going to introduce a little bit more about Cynthia, and then I want to share two pieces of writing, one written by my friend and one written by myself before we jump into the conversation. Cynthia Hanna, has over a decade of international experience working with governments and international companies, but her passion is learning and teaching biblical texts. She's a sought-after educator and public speaker, giving weekly classes that fuse Torah concepts, Jewish traditions, current events, and support for Israel, which is exactly what our conversation is today. Before starting her own company, Cynthia worked in the Israeli startup world for MoveIt, the beloved app which was acquired by Intel in 2020. Prior to move it, Cynthia worked for the mayor of Jerusalem's foreign affairs office and the U.S. Department of State. She speaks Portuguese, Spanish, English, and Hebrew, and she earns her M.A. from Georgetown University. She moved to Israel in 2011, and Cynthia is the author of a beautiful photo book, Miracles from the Lands of Israel, Biblical Promises Fulfilled, and she's also the host of the Holy Land in the Holy Text podcast the pain that we are all feeling. I mean, even now, even two weeks in, I walk around every day with a pit in my stomach and a lump in my throat. And I know I'm not alone, especially seeing the reaction of so many people around the world who are actually cheering on the sheer terror and evil, which has only compounded our pain and the silence of other non-Jewish people it's been a very painful time, but Rabbi Shlomo Katz said something that really, really helped me. He said, to feel now, to, to really feel this pain means that you're in touch with the Jewish people, that you're connected to the Jewish people, that you're part of this nation. And he said he wouldn't trade that for anything. As dark as this time has been, there's definitely been a lot of light that has come out, which you know everyone's been seeing in all different forms. The amount of kindnesses that we're doing for each other, the way we're unifying together. I want to read a letter from my close childhood friend. I'm really proud of her because she's really been struggling emotionally with everything that's been going on and she's choosing light. She's choosing to bring the light. So here we go. I'm going to read part of her letter. Mm-hmm. We have a choice. We can get swallowed up in the darkness, or we can bring the lightness. We can look away for the sake of our mental health, or we can channel it all to do good. Right now, it is not just the IDF that is being called on. Every single Jew in the world is being called on to. We all have to do our part. We're not allowed to be tired, just like the army is not allowed to be tired, discouraged, or fearful. We need to pray. We need to do acts of kindness, give charity, check in on others. We have to do whatever we can. This is my part. At least I want it to be. We need to channel all of this negative energy that feels so overwhelming to the point of debilitation in a more positive way. We need to be the strength for each other because when we give strength to others, it acts as strength to ourselves too. We have to stop asking why or how this is happening and start asking what we can do to shine our lights brighter. I'm starting small. I went out and bought new Shabbat candles over the weekend. I want to light them every Shabbat while praying for everyone who is suffering, for my family, for our safety here. We're continuing to donate to organizations that are on the ground and also directly to troops who need supplies. I'm teaching my son the meaning of Sadaka and each week he will take coins out of his piggy bank to bring them into school and we'll continue to talk about how happy this can make other people. Like I said, I'm starting small starting somewhere. It's easy to look away. It's easy to fall back into the feeling of drowning in fear. It's easy to do nothing and blame it on the uncertainty of how does any of this help anyways? How will this help put an end to all of this hate? It won't, unfortunately. This hate is so deep-rooted it's not going away. But if you take a step back and look at the unity of the Jewish people worldwide, it does feel like this is the most united we've ever been, at least in my lifetime. And there's something really special about that. I want to thank my friend for allowing me to share part of her letter because we can't wallow in despair. We cannot let fear overwhelm us. That is what they want, as Cynthia and I discuss in depth. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov said, Life is a narrow bridge, and the most important thing is not to be afraid. And Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg explained that, it's normal to feel fear. He's not saying don't feel fear because it's very normal and natural and understandable, but we can't let the fear overwhelm us. We can't let it debilitate us. Rabbi Baruch Gartner taught me an invaluable lesson. He said, at every moment, we have a choice between faith and fear. At every moment, we have a choice between faith and fear, and we have to choose faith we are believers, children of believers. We are the Jewish people. We need to remember who we are now more than ever. And that's going to be our merit. And that's, what's going to save us. Rebbiton Esther Young Rice, before she passed away, she wrote an article saying that she sensed the same noxious fumes of pre-Hitler Europe, but she wasn't afraid of the anti-Semitic people. She was afraid that our own people don't know who we are that we don't realize we're a holy people. We need to remember who we are. We need to hold on to our faith now more than ever and we need to choose light and we need to choose love. There is so much hate now, so much darkness and it's so easy to let that hate into our hearts. But I heard a story once about Rabbi Shlomo Karabach that always stuck with me. Somebody asked him, how do you not have hate in your heart after what happened in the Holocaust and all of the people that you love that were killed? And he said, I only have room in my heart for one, for either love or hate. So I have to choose love. Please God in the merit of choosing love and choosing light and rising to this occasion, we should have a salvation and we should merit to hear good news. Last, before we begin, I'm going to share a short poem that I wrote to remind us that we are an eternal people, and our light will triumph, ultimately. The People of Forever. You want to hear stories? We have stories. Stories of persecution going back centuries. Stories of crusades and pogroms, of the Inquisition and expulsions. Stories of gas chambers, crematorium, the haunting screams of women and children stories of silence, mass graves of ashes, stories of lost stories, lost families, lost friends, lost history, lost faith, lost generations, stories of survival despite the odds, stories of rebuilding, stories of assimilation, stories of tshuva, return. We, the Jewish people, are part of an eternal story. Our God is eternal and so are we. We outlive every attempted at annihilation while our persecutors collect dust in history books. We are the people of forever. We live and breathe life and death, fear and strength in a single breath we are forced to. We don't know exactly how our story will end, but we know one thing for sure. The light will triumph over the dark. That light illuminates our path now. In our unity, in our hope, in our prayer groups, in our aid, in answering the call to defend. As we traverse this next dark chapter of our history, we must remember, our bright ending is decided, and it's already on the way. Okay, thank you so much for coming on. I know you have so much to share with our listeners, and I'm really excited.
1: Thank you. It's uh, it's nice to hear from you, Jenna. And um, I'm happy to be here and to be able to share a little bit from here in Jerusalem. Um, but before we start, I actually want to tell you something important. Um, if there might be a siren um, in the background, um, because we're we're under attack here, um, they're throwing rockets on a daily basis. So I just want to let you know before we start that I might have to take a pause if um, I hear one of the sirens.
0: Okay. As an American, it's honestly shocking. It's It's hard to even hear that. I think as an American, like we've never really – certainly in our lifetime, had war on our soil. So it's just, I think it's so hard for so many Americans to even relate to what it's like to be living in a war zone. Um, Can you just take a little bit of time to tell us what it's been like, you know, since the day of the attack and and what, what it's been like there as, as a citizen or civilian?
1: Yeah, so since the attack happened about two and a half weeks ago on October 7th, first of all, the, the first day, everyone was in shock because this really took us by surprise. No one was expecting this. And so when we started hearing about the, the severity of it, the amount of people, all the kibbutzim that were attacked, and so everyone was in a state of shock. Also that day, they threw several hundred rockets. So the whole country was under rocket attack. In addition to finding out that people were kidnapped, were murdered, and then those following days, like more information started coming out, and the whole country was was traumatized and, and in shock. Yeah. um I mean we we still are um and then people, mostly men who were called up immediately uh to serve in the um in the IDF in the Israeli armed forces and so a lot of these restaurants and shops um you know the in offices people that were working there have have been have been on the border protecting us so the cities are still very quiet people are afraid to travel long distances because even though thank god we have the iron dome protecting us there's always the possibility of a rocket coming through and hitting or the, the risk of fragments from the the rockets hitting and which has hit. And so there's, there's a lot of worry. A lot of these um, men and women who are called up for military duty, their mothers, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters, their aunts, their cousins. So this is affecting everybody. Everybody's worried. Also in addition to the threat of, of Hamas and Gaza, we're also under threat from Hezbollah in the north. And there's been skirmishes on the border and uh rockets also from Lebanon. And in recently there were rockets that came from Yemen. So we're we're really, you know, getting hit kind of from all sides. Yeah. And so it's been it's very very difficult, especially the first week. There's one point that they're like, listen, everybody make sure that you have enough food and water in your bomb shelter to last for the next few days. And so that sent everyone in a panic. Is there, are there, there- supplies still in the stores? Are schools open? So um I personally um haven't seen uh personally when I've been to the supermarket, I've seen the the shelves are packed and as normal, um, especially like uh, last week and um, after everybody ran to the supermarket to buy um, canned goods and water. Um, But um, I haven't seen any shortages. Um, I also know that uh, schools, like depending where where you are, so obviously the, you know, there were, there's been over a hundred thousand people who live um close to the border with Gaza as you know Israel's not a large country right. so a lot 100,000 people who live you know a few miles away from from Gaza have been relocated cuz the the rockets that Hamas uh throws at Israel they have some long range rockets that can reach Tel Aviv and even Haifa today they threw a rocket uh towards Eilat but most of their rockets are short range and mm-hmm. so a lot of those people and who live you know 10, 20 miles radius from Gaza are more at risk. So all those communities have been um, most of the people have been um, relocated and they're staying in hotels and um, temporary housing and with families. So that those kids in those schools are not having a normal school. There is um, distance learning. there some schools have opened up in these temporary communities. But um, but here in Jerusalem, where I live, just this week they returned to in, in person in learning, uh, learning, and I know that also some of the schools they um they've uh, they're only teaching students in bomb shelters, hmm. and so they're rotating classes and grades so that they can make sure that the kids are are safe from any impossible oh. uh, from any rocket. So I'll okay. just add to
0: that. Thank you that um, I have a close friend who lives in Jerusalem and in one of the neighborhoods and she has been working nonstop because there have been at least a dozen, if not more families that have shown up in her neighborhood alone, families with nothing. I mean, they overnight, they basically lost everything, their source of income. They like just basically like whatever they could bring with them. And uh, they need a place to live. They need food. They need toys for their kids. They're trying to, the the local schools are trying to absorb some of the kids to give them structure. I mean, it's an absolute nightmare. It's like, and she, she is doing everything she she can to try to raise money to help these displaced families. Um, As a side note, she's also trying to raise money to help some of the army bases because like 300,000, maybe more reservists have answered the call, you know, to help defend Israel. And so there's all these like makeshift bases and not all of the soldiers have like hot food, like they're eating like airplane food and cold food. And she to- told me that they're trying to get caterers there and chefs to, to make them hot, nutritious food. So that they have the energy to, to you know, help defend Israel and, and to win this war. So um, as a side note, if anyone's interested in helping, helping to fund those two causes that she's working so tirelessly on, um, you can contact me directly and I'll-, I'll give you the information for that. But Thank you, Cynthia, for sharing yeah. a little bit, like a little piece Thanks. of what it's been like there.
1: First of all, that that's a really, really important p- uh, note because most of those people that live in the Gaza periphery, they they live there because it's basically cheaper to live there, right? right? Because it's uh, it's you know not everybody wants to live within a short range of Gaza, who have been throwing missiles at Israel for over 20 years.
0: Exactly, And
1: so a lot of those people, they're, you know, it's the periphery. So they are low income, they don't have a lot of money, they don't have a lot of savings, their jobs were taken away from them, because they can't be in the cities, and they don't have access to their jobs. Not only have they been under attack, they have they've had to move, but they have no income, no uh, very limited savings. So it's really such such a sad story for um, for those people.
0: Yeah, and that and that and they witness trauma that is beyond most people's comprehension. Is not, not only
1: that, but their sense of safety has been yeah. shattered. Yeah, and, and so yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I was going to say what's interesting too is, like you said, the whole country has been traumatized, and I think on a larger scale, the whole Jewish world has been traumatized because we live in a world now where we have phones and we were able to see videos and images, um, whoever chose to watch them. We almost like experienced it secondhand. Whereas like in the days of the Holocaust, you know, nobody was seeing what was really going on. So I feel like just just the visual images also have, have really triggered
1: people, you know, a lot. So- And the subsequent reaction from the world, in addition to to all the trauma that we have been through, especially we've been through a collective trauma as the with the Jewish people, um, as a Jewish people. And to to have salt poured on our wound by people not believing us, by people not supporting us, by people sending threatening messages, people are afraid to have a, a mezuzah on their door people are afraid to show support and so in addition to the this trauma that we just went through we have we're dealing through another trauma of, yeah. of people not not supporting us and yeah. it's 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 very clear obviously no one wants um innocent palestinians to suffer and that's why we want to get rid of hamas this terror organization right so to to give palestinians in gaza an opportunity to have a, a full life and not be under this murderous terrorist regime. Right. But instead of people supporting us, getting rid of Hamas, they, they turn it up. They turn it around on us. Yeah. So, so that's also yeah. been, been very difficult.
0: Yeah. You, you just raised a lot of really good points. The number one point is this is not a war of uh, Palestinians. This is a war on Hamas. This is a war between Israel and Hamas. Okay. That's number one. Number two, and, and one of my teachers, Alana Callan, made an excellent post about this. Exactly what you're saying is that there's a two-pronged war here that Hamas is, is waging. Number one, they want to kill the Jews. They want to destroy Israel, but they've also been waging a PR war. And that's been going on for a very long time. And I think a lot of people who are so in shock by the response of so many people who are like in support of just the sheer terror and evil. It, it's shocking to so many people, but if you understand the PR war that they've been waging for the, at least the past, you know, 20 years, whatever it is, it makes sense. And so, like you said, like, there's like two yeah. levels of this, there's like the actual attack itself and the trauma from that. And then the additional war that's being fought is like a PR war um, where there's just a ton of misinformation out there.
1: Yes. And so Hamas, first of all, Hamas is responsible for what's happening in Gaza because they initiated this war. That's Wait, first.
0: Let's let's back up, Cynthia, though. Can you, while you're talking about this, can you give us the the political context here a little bit um, in terms of Gaza and, and Hamas and all of that?
1: Okay. So the Gaza Strip is a piece of land that sits on the southern western border of Israel. It borders also Egypt, so it's in that little corner to the left. Now, the Gaza Strip had, you know, now it's the Gaza Strip, but before, when the Israelites were were here, it was part of the Israelite kingdom. And then when the Jews were kicked out by the Romans, it belonged to the Romans, and then it belonged to the Byzantines. And then after the Byzantines, it was part of the Ottoman Empire for, for centuries. And then after World War One, when uh, the Ottoman Empire was disbanded, it, it came under the um, governance of the British, and it was part of the British mandate for Palestine. And then um, when the British uh, withdrew and after the partition plan, actually Gaza Strip belonged to the Egyptians. But the Egyptians didn't want the people from Gaza. They didn't allow them to go into Egypt. They didn't allow them to leave. And so they kept the the people that were living in Gaza kind of trapped between Israel and Egypt. And in 1967, when we won the miraculous six-day war, um, Egypt didn't want Gaza anymore. And so we unfortunately uh, took over managing Gaza. Now, from 67 until 2005, there were Jews that lived there. There were uh, Gazans that lived there, and for many years, it was actually kind of a harmonious time. But then, in the 80s, after the rise of uh, um, Arafat, who was uh, became kind of the first Palestinian leader, uh, he created um, this uh, these PLO movement, the Palestinian. Liberation movements. And so that started creating friction between the Jews that lived in, in Gaza and the, the Palestinians that lived in Gaza. And so there was a lot of um of uh fighting that was going on. They were uh, murdering um the Jews that were there, and so the Israeli army had to try to establish order for for many years, and then at one point, um Ariel Sharon, um, he's like, you know what? Um after the, the Oslo Accords, he's like, let's give Gaza um, to the Palestinians. They want their own state. Let's let's do a, a trial run, so to speak. And he gave, um, he removed every Jewish person from Gaza, okay? And we left the, the Gazan Strip for it to be a, a Palestinian state. And so what happened? So because... The whole the whole thing we were going to leave and and Gazans were going to have elections of who they wanted to to rule over Gaza. And so the Gazan people elected Hamas in 2006 and Hamas has been the de facto ruler of the Gaza Strip since then. And they have never allowed uh, another election. They have killed opponents. They don't allow the freedom um, for women's rights. They don't allow the freedom of religious rights. They don't allow the freedom of press. They don't allow the freedom of speech. If you go against Hamas, there, there's two options. You either die, get killed, or you go to jail. Yeah. So they, they've been running a um, a very regime. Re- oppressive regime. And, and the worst part is that They've also been indoctrinating children for the yeah. last for the last 20 years yeah. in their schools to want to uh kill Jews. That that's the the main message in the school system is that Jews are evil, they need to kill Jews. It's um then supported by you know cultural events, they have military parades where the the main idea is that we have this enemy, they're the Jewish people, and and also israeli cuz they they lump they lump it together um there's no distinction be, between jews or israelis they want to kill both and uh and and so this has been the the atmosphere in the gaza strip what
0: people don't often focus on which is a big piece in this whole thing is that egypt i mean maybe they took in a couple thousand people but they're not they're not absorbing the gazan population
1: they won't take them in no um egypt doesn't want the gazans um into uh into egypt and the jordanians don't want the gazans why because hamas and um and many of its supporters in gaza they're an islamic radical uh regime and if you remember in egypt um right after the arab spring they elected Uh, His name escapes me, but they elected someone that was um, was basically part of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a radical Islamic uh, regime, uh, political party organization. And so um, Sisi, the the president of Egypt, he doesn't want any Gazans um, coming into Egypt because he doesn't want the influence of the Muslim Brotherhood coming into Egypt. And and Jordan doesn't want the Gazans um, either. And so they've been very clear, oh, we're not allowed, uh, we're not allowing anyone to come in, even though both of these countries are much, much bigger than um, than Israel. Uh, Jordan is actually really the true Palestinian state, okay? But they don't want uh, to have uh, any type of Gazans that could possibly harm their leadership's uh, power. Yeah. And so, you know, n- no country has said we want to take um, the Gazan people. Yeah, it's
0: unbelievable. I mean, it's their own people, so to speak. And then somehow the, the blame falls on Israel.
1: People say, well, Israel's been um, enabling a, a blockade in Gaza. That's true. Israel and Egypt, because since Hamas has taken power, their main focus has been to um, want to start wars and to kill the Jews. And right. so they, um, Israel and Egypt enacted a blockade to prevent weapons from getting into Gaza, even though that hasn't stopped them from using any available resource to create rockets and to foment terror.
0: Yeah, very, very good point. I know. So, and what's crazy is like Israel actually was giving them cement. Israel's providing electricity for them, giving them water, and and
1: food, what are they- medical supplies. Yeah. Every, every a blockade didn't d- doesn't mean that there was no supplies coming in. Every day there was like tens of hundreds of trucks that would cross border from israel from egypt into gaza bringing all their necessities however before they crossed they were checked for arms for weapons for rockets to make sure that they weren't bringing any of those things in right so
0: the question is if you look at what's happened since 2005 when israel withdrew from gaza hamas and the you know the people there the palestinian people they had a chance to start their own country and and maybe have a productive country and instead what they've done is they've basically devoted all of their resources to either padding their own pockets if they're at the top or trying to wipe out israel and the jewish people so the question the next question i have for you is what is the obsession like if they wanted their own state they would have just stopped because they got that in 2005 But they weren't content with that. And if you look at the history of, you know, the whole two-state solution and and all, there have been several times that a two-state solution was on the table. And every single time the Palestinians turned it down because it's not that they just want a state, they want Israel gone, even though the Arabs populate the entire region and we have a little sliver of land, but nevertheless, they want us gone. So the question I want to ask you is, what is the Hamas's obsession with wiping out the Jewish people? Because I know this is connected in the Torah to the nation Amalek, who was also obsessed with wiping out the Jewish people. So can you explain a little bit of kind of like this biblical connection and parallel that we're seeing today?
1: Yeah, actually, Jenna, thank you. You mentioned a really great point because it is directly connected to the Amalek as a, as King Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. And so we see behaviors and patterns that we see from the Torah repeated today. And actually, I'll I'll tell you a little bit about the Amalek. So the, the Amalek nation is a nation that is uh committed to crime, um, to fe- to stealing, to murder. The the first encounter that the Jewish people actually have with the Amalek is. It's actually very telling. So right after the Jewish people left Egypt in the story of the Exodus, we're, we're marching. We, we just have um, come over from the splitting of the sea. The whole region, world at that time, knew about all the miracles that had happened in Egypt because there were public miracles. And everyone had heard if, you know, there's even a story in the Torah about um, Jethro, Moses's father-in-law hearing about all the miracles and leaving his country to come join the Jewish people so everybody knew what had happened and that the god of the israelites was there there was something there and the, the world at that time was pagan and idolatrous and at that time the israelites they had people were afraid of us and so and as we were marching towards the land the amalek took up, uh, took advantage of you know when when you're marching, if you can imagine, you have the strong and the brave. They're at the front of the line, and and who's in the back of the line? You have the elderly, the women with children, the weak, and so uh the Amaleks. They did a surprise uh, attack, and they targeted the the weaklings in, in the back of in the back of the line because it's really a chutzpah um, more than anything. Because the whole world had had seen these miracles that the God of the Israelites had done. And here they are coming and attacking to show the world that, you know what, maybe the God of Israel doesn't really exist because maybe if he did, then he wouldn't have allowed us to attack the Israelites in the back. So that already gives us um, a showing of of what the Amalek tries to do is to create doubt. And so that people won't believe um, in God because at that moment, maybe you know, before the attack, the whole world would have uh done um tshuva, which uh, means uh repentance, that would have come in, and left their idolatrous ways and, and come um to believe in God. But because the amalek had attacked, so people were like, Oh, you know what? Maybe maybe this God doesn't exist. So that's our first encounter with the with the Amalek. Mm. The second encounter. Is um, it's very interesting. So this gives us another insight into into this. But uh, that this is a not only a, a war but a, a spiritual war, because um, the first battle between the nation of of uh, of Israel and the nation of of the um, Amaleks or Amalekites is that um, they're 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 about to fight. And Moses sends his uh, right hand man Joshua to go lead the army. And Moses, it says, he goes on top of a mountain to oversee the battle. And so the Torah says something very interesting. It says that when um, Moses puts his hands up, the Israelites are winning. But when Moses had his hands down, the Israelites were losing. Mm. And so Moses you know, gets tired and his hands are falling and he's trying to keep his hands up. And so what happens is that his brother and his nephew, they hold Moses's hands up and eventually the Israelites win. They don't destroy the Amalek's, but they win. And so that already is our, our, our second understanding that this is a spiritual war, because when we put our hands up, it's like we're putting our hands up in prayer. Yeah. Right. Um, and so and when our hands are down, then then when we don't have faith and we don't have um and connection, then we're losing. Yeah. And what's really interesting is right after this war um, that we won, Moses um, writes the uh, um, builds an altar to thank God. And he writes something very interesting. He says, God is going to be at war with the Amalek nation throughout every generation, mm. because this is a spiritual war. It's not just a um, political war. It's not a geographic war. This is a war that is going to go through eternity. And and if you want, I can give you other examples from the Torah of, of why, why that is.
0: Thank you so much. That you hit on two really important points. So first of all, we know also in the Torah that Amalek, the root of Amalek is is linked to the word doubt. And like you said, their their goal is like part of their function is to instill doubt in the in the Jewish people. Our job is to be basically God's representatives on this on this earth. We represent morality, we represent God, and that's why there's this eternal hatred and anti-Semitism that just will not go away because that's really what people hate about us you know At it's very essence the fact that we represent that even if they don't if they don't realize it
1: you know the the western countries um the legal system the cultural belief system is based on judeo-christian values yes right and those judeo-christian values comes from the torah and so people don't like you know, in a society where you have to have courts and justice and you have to provide for the less fortunate, you have to provide for the widow.
0: Our, I think one of our jobs is to keep our faith and to understand that more than ever, we have to know and believe that there is a God and represent morality and represent good and not let them instill fear in us and, debil- and debilitate us in that way because that's part of what they're trying to do and that's part of the more spiritual war that you're talking about where we can't allow them to do that our amuna our faith it's like the arms that are being held up like my rabbi in in los angeles he said something very powerful um rabbi Graydon. he's he said you know every jew is being called up now even if you are not in the idf you are being called up we all have a job to do there is so much that we can do, even if we're not fighting in the, in the actual war itself, we are the spiritual part of the spiritual war of praying and mitzvot and all the things that are going to help us to be successful as a nation. Um, so, so I think, yeah, you raised two really good points there.
1: No. And that's why we have to keep our hands up, even if that means someone's holding it because we can't let our faith down. and, and we have to move forward and bring more light to the world. I mean, something that I saw today, a post that was, I think, hits the spot is that you don't see the Jewish community protesting and calling for the destruction of another community, right, right? or another people, whereas you see the the Palestinian, pro-Palestinian um, protests that are calling deaths to the Jews, they're right. calling for intifadas, which is basically War on Jews from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Yeah, what happens to the Jews between the river and the sea? Right. They don't want us here. So that's just an example of, you know, we have to uh, we have to defend ourselves. We try to limit innocent loss of innocent life, but we can't be, you know, there's there's a story about King Saul in the in the in the Torah, in the Tanakh, that um once you know he's commanded by God to destroy the Amalek. And so he does, but he leaves the king alive for a period of time. And as a result, unfortunately, in, in that time that the king um, Agag was was left uh, in, in prison, he he procreated and he had a child. Eventually, when we fast forward to um, uh, the story of, uh, of Purim, we learn that the villain Haman, whose goal was to destroy the Jewish people, he wanted Haman wanted to create a genocide, a true a true genocide, and kill every Jew um, in the world at the time. And we know we learned that Haman was a descendant of this king King Agag, mm. and so we see also the the connection that the that the Amalek they want to destroy the Jewish people at at. No, at uh, whatever cost um, is involved, and so Haman, if if you know the story, he had everything to to be happy. He was the right hand man to the king at the time, but there was uh, one Jewish person who didn't bow down to him, and so all, all of a sudden Haman became incensed and wanted to destroy the whole Jewish people because that's the one of the hallmark, you know, one of the you know clear signs of a is that they want to destroy the Jewish people now. You know, since since then, Haman we know is the descendant of the king of Agag of the um, uh, Amaleks, but then there's been, all the nations have been um, have been uh, intermixed, right? And so we don't, there's no specific um, nationality or race to the Amaleks today. But as one of my teachers, Rebetzin Heller, she explained is that Amalek is actually not a race or a nation, it's a spiritual, uh, she called it a spiritual virus. Mm. That once, um, once a person allows that spiritual virus to enter, it overtakes them.
0: Mm. And
1: all they, all they care about is destroying the Jewish people and being at war with the Jewish people, because it's really, like you said, Jenna, being at war with God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, and so Hitler, right. Another example, he's, you know, it's in, in the Jewish world, we consider him in a uh, Moloch because his his whole focus was like i want to destroy and kill every jewish person it wasn't he wanted to kill every jew in the world at the expense of his own people of his own country that was his sole mission so we know he's an amalek and and it's actually how we know hamas is also the amalek because their mission is to destroy every jew um not only in israel but around the world and, uh, and, and we saw that. And so that's, that's also, uh, a, a, a category, uh, that's also how we know that Hamas yeah. is also the Amalek.
0: That's the hallmark characteristic that at any cost, even to their own detriment, they just want to wait. That is like their primary focus and prayer and priority. And, it, and I think it, golden mayor was the one who said when they love their children more than they hate ours, we will have peace because at the end of the day, they're willing to sacrifice their their citizens, their children um, who they use as human shields. They'll do anything, you know, just to wipe us out. And even with Hitler with, during World War II, I mean, um, guns and trains that could have been used in the war effort for them to win the war was being
1: used to kill Jews. And, and like you said, um, Hamas, the uh, Israel left Gaza in 2005. Hamas had control of the Gaza Strip, their own country, for all intents and purposes, and they could have made Gaza into the Singapore of the Mediterranean. But instead of using the money that all the international donors and countries gave to them, they used it for for terror, for yeah. creating tunnels to yeah. create uh, to buying weapons instead of using that money f- uh, to for the betterment of their own people. Right, and, and you so- look,
0: and then you look at Israel, and the comp- the contrast couldn't be more stark. I mean, look at the medical advances look, in seventy years. I mean, Israel was a desert, and it is like the most flourishing, productive, advanced country in every sector. Okay. So it really speaks for itself. And I think there's one other point I want to circle back to that you you touched on, but we didn't get to talk about it, which is King Saul, he was ordered by God to kill every single one of the Amalek nation. And he had mercy and he ended up not killing that king. And that resulted in the continuation of Amalek down to Haman and, and et cetera. So I think there's a big component here in what we're seeing with this war now of misplaced mercy. We're now over a thousand people that were killed in this terror attack, and instead of focusing 1400. On, 1400 thank you. Instead of focusing on them, and instead of focusing on the grieving families, and now orphans, and and parents who lost their kids, and kids that were kidnapped, and the hostages, and instead of focusing on these true victims, we're having you know total misplaced mercy in the media, and it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. And Rabbi Daniel Katz said, "What's the real danger in this war that we're dealing with is that pe- is that people don't know what's good and what's evil.
1: Yeah. And also, I mean, I, I want to remind you, Israel warns um, Gazans for two days to leave the north. So what happens is that the north of Gaza is where most of the uh, Hamas um, military installations are, are placed. And so Israel uh, gave people two days to leave northern Gaza to go to the south of Gaza, where they're going to be um, protected from um, from the attacks, from the rocket launch, uh rocket attacks. So Hamas prevented most people from going south because Hamas wants more people dead because that's how they win the PR war. Right. So when so when Israel hits a, a building that terrorists. Or throwing rockets or launching rockets from, or when Israel hits a building because there's it's a terrorist um, uh, hub, right? Unfortunately, innocent people are getting killed because they're they're not allowed to leave, right? And so Hamas, you know, loves these images um, because it, it creates more compassion. Now, right. another thing that's really important is that people don't understand that the Gaza Health Ministry is Hamas. So, you can't trust what Hamas is saying. So, they're saying 2,000 babies died. Like, we don't know because you're getting that information from. Um, From a terror organization. Have innocent people died, including babies and children? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. Because in war, there are, unfortunately, civilian casualties, even though Israel tries to minimize it. But you can't believe the numbers that's coming out from the Gazan uh, ministry because it's controlled by Hamas and and it's it's propaganda. Yeah
0: completely it's part of their pr war and my rabbi here um rabbi ephraim goldberg he made a, a very good point he said you know people around the world are calling for ceasefire, but what they're really saying is israel cease and and hamas continue to fire because if we stop now that's what's going to happen and that's what's been going on for all these years since we disengaged from gaza and before and it's enough it, it's enough and and We need to do what we need to do now to defend our country and our right to exist and have our own homeland. Six million Jews, six million, that's an amount you cannot even wrap your head around. Six million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust. We didn't have a homeland and we got Israel. The whole purpose of Israel was never again. This will never happen again. We will not be wiped out. We will not have an inability to defend ourselves. And we need to do what we have to do to protect our homeland. And Israel is the most merciful. I mean, they do everything they can to limit to limit casualties and, and to, to do everything in the right way. But at the yeah, end, they, of the day, we have to do what we have to do.
1: We've been, we've been getting attacked by Gaza um, for 20 years. And every time' we've, we've not gone in there because we don't want a larger war, and we've kind of like kicked the can down the line and god thank god we had the iron dome which basically shielded us from many of the rockets attacks okay but we've been getting hit by thousands of rockets every year this it wasn't this isn't the first time for right. for 20 years we've been getting hit by rocket attacks. And we've not gone in there because we didn't want a, a war where there would be more bloodshed. But imagine, can you imagine any country accepting yeah. 20 years of rockets being thrown at innocent civilian yeah. people? Yeah. Okay. And um, and so we we need to go and we need to get rid of Hamas, we need to remove the threat. And ultimately, we need to give, you know, by removing Hamas, we're going to give Gazans a a better quality of life. Right. I mean, even just before this whole war started,
0: I heard that Israel had issued 15000 permits for um, Palestinians to come into Israel to to have jobs and and live normal lives. I mean, hopefully when this is all said and done, like you said, they'll have the people who are left will have a better quality of life because they won't be under the thumb of a terrorist regime. So it's really mind-boggling that America, uh, people in America are are on the side of Hamas, on the side of evil. What I want to ask you—it's you-
1: very, very misplaced. Like they think that they're yeah. they're you know because when something says like free Palestine, of course, like everyone wants to live in freedom. Who doesn't want freedom, right? So it's it's like a. a a nice cause slogan to, to get behind. But if they actually really did the the homework, if they actually, and and this is another problem, there's so much misinformation, right? You can't trust Wikipedia. You can't, today I was even looking at Britannica encyclopedia and it was so biased. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, so people, um, are just finding, you know, Google talking points and think that they know anything about the subject. This is a very complex subject that, you know, religiously, spiritually, geopolitically, it, yeah. it's an intersection of a lot of different things. And people don't know the nuances, but they they see a slogan. And, and so they throw their support. I, I, you know, I, I think that for most people, it's well-intentioned, but it's um, misinformation.
0: Yeah, it could be well intentioned. It could also be people who are, you know, just anti Semitic. It could be either. I also, first of all, I want to thank you for really shedding light on the situation. I feel like we hit a lot of really important topics and gave really good context. And I want to leave people feeling good. I want to leave listeners feeling inspired and empowered to do something positive as a result of what's going on, because everything we've been talking about is very heavy and very negative and and very discouraging. And so what what can Jews around the world, Jews outside of Israel do to help? Um, What are things that we can do?
1: Okay, so first of all, I think what we're realizing now is that we have to um, stick with each other because a lot of the people, um, a lot of Jews were on the front lines with a lot of different communities that now feel abandoned, right, um, by these communities because they're not supporting us when we need their support. So I think that um, as Jews, we have to we have to look out for each other. We have to come together. I think also it's really important because as we learn in the in the battle, when Moses had his hand down, we lost. And when we had our hand up, we won. That we need to strengthen our faith. We need to. and, And how do we do that? We do that by doing more good deeds. We need to volunteer to help each other, um, donate money to worthy causes like these families that are um, displaced. We need to to bring more light into the world. And um, one of the things that that uh, actually Rob Donald Katz mentioned is that I think we need to also maybe stop engaging in these like social media videos, even though I feel like we need to speak our, our, our truth and we need to get our message out there, but there's so much like negative content out there and it just like makes us feel helpless and it yeah. makes us lose faith and it makes us very sad. And that's what, you know, the Amalek wants to do. Right. right the whole world was ready to to you know to accept god and so here comes the amalek to to crush faith and we can't let our faith down we have survived um everything that's been thrown at us and we will, will survive this and um and we need to keep our faith and we need to help each other and we need to do good deeds and that's how we're going to um we're going to come together and and then also we can't stay silent a lot of people they're you know they're afraid to speak out because they don't want their, their friends to, you know, to criticize them or they don't, uh, they're afraid that are going to lose friends. Well, if you're, you know, if those friends are not going to be friends with you because you're standing for your own people, then you don't want those friends in your life anyways. Yeah. So, so we need to stand up. We, we can't be silent. And also this is really important. We have to also be um, active in engaging with our representatives, our congressional representatives, because America is only an ally to Israel when Americans are um, in support of Israel. So we need to make them aware that we need to support Israel because Israel, not only is it the only democracy in the Middle East, it's it's a place where there's freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, women's right, men's right, gay rights. And uh, we need to make sure that um, we have support because there's there's a lot of countries who are actually surrounded by enemies who want to destroy us. And we need all the support that we can get.
0: 100%. Um, I think also going back to what you were saying about people being afraid to speak up, I, I I, know just from speaking to my own, you know, family and some friends that people, part of why people don't want to speak up is because they're intimidated because they feel like they don't have all the facts at hand, you know? And like you said, it's, it's a complex history and there's a lot of different facts and you need to know what you're talking about. So I think part of it is we have a responsibility to like learn up and like educate ourselves, you know, and and know the basic facts so that we can feel confident to engage in these conversations. Um, obviously when they're productive, if they're just not productive, there's no point, but um, yeah. I I, information. I ourselves. Yeah.
1: Information is power. So I yeah. would suggest that people read the material from the um, Israel organization stand with us. Mm-hmm. They put a lot of really good information out there you know, information is power. So look at Stand With Us, um, read, um, sort, uh, get, so there's a, a bunch of other great organizations that, um, that put information out there. Maybe you might want to put. Yeah, a link I'm going to
0: like, them. I'm like to stand, to stand with us and, and uh, some other places that people can go to, to educate. And also if they want to donate um, to different organizations that I personally know um, are, are great organizations. And then I just want to add Cynthia, that I think my, one of my rabbis said that there, we really have a responsibility now to cry out to God, to really pray and and say Tehillim. To say Psalms of David are very powerful. Um, I think it's like the the most potent spiritual weapon we have is our Tehillim, our uh, our Psalms of David, and also just our our prayers and any mitzvah, any any mitzvah that we can do, whether it's lighting Shabbat candles if we haven't been lighting Shabbat candles. I have a close friend who wasn't lighting every week and now she's, she went out, she got her candle. She's committing to lighting every single week. Um, there are people who do keep Shabbat every week, but they're, they're now going to sit at the Shabbos table and, and review laws of how to keep Shabbos properly. Any way that we can kind of like step up our game in terms of the mitzvah can bring so much light into the world. And I always think about what the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, which is that a small amount of light can really dispel a lot of darkness. And there's so much darkness surrounding us right now, but, But there's also the ability for us to really bring the light. And we have to do that.
1: So actually, I want to I want to add to that. And so there's everything happens for a reason. And there is some light coming from this darkness. And so here in Israel, right, uh, two Jews, three opinions. But uh, there's there was a lot of. there was a lot of uh, basically media manipulation and the country was kind of divided in the previous months because of a uh, judicial reform and some people were in favor and some people were against. But all of a sudden, um, after we were attacked, we came together as like one nation, one people. There is so much unity here on the streets. It doesn't matter who you are, what political, uh, what side of the political spectrum you fall on. If you're religious, if you're not religious, everyone has really come together, um, including the the Jews um, uh, abroad. So, for example, I have a cousin who was um, not connected at all with like Jewish tradition or anything like that. And all of a sudden, after this horrible attack, she's posting Jewish content. She's posting pro-Israel content. And then I saw she posted that she lit Shabbat candles And I don't know when the last time it was that she lit Shabbat candles. And so not only did she light them, but she also posted it on on uh, social media. So I thought that was very special. So there, you know, unfortunately, when when the Jewish people are attacked, that's when you know, that's when we come together and we forget all the stupid little differences that um, pull us apart and we remember what's really important.
0: Yeah. And it's our unity that that's also going to help us. Cause when we're unified, it's like a shield. Like that's our protection is part part of our protection is when we're unified, then, then God, you know, will help us. So, um, I just want to thank you so much, Cynthia, that this was amazing. And I really think we're going to educate and hopefully inspire listeners and, uh, you should just be safe and, and we should share in good news. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. I really appreciate it. Have a great day.